before we read our scripture, if you want to find it in the Pew Bibles on the regular print edition, it's on page 1,230. If you happen to have a large print edition, it's page 1,827. This is the uh, NIV version. If you have a, a mobile device, uh, you can look it up, and I don't know how to tell you how to do that because I don't have one. But uh, those of you familiar with that, you can look it up quite easily, probably get there quicker than I can. Just remember that if you're a guest today, uh, we would love to have one of those little Connect cards filled out before you leave. And uh, we do have some brochures at the back in the foyer that uh, tell a bit about us. And we would love to have you here again and worship with us. All right, Philippians 2, 1 through 15. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. May God bless the reading of his word. I just brag on you for a second. That'd <laughs> be all right. Um, I've had several reports lately from first-time encounters that people have had with our church, where they've said what a friendly church this was, and I think that that's worth uh, mentioning and worth celebrating because while all churches think that they're friendly, <laughs> not all churches are friendly. And uh, that, you know, everyone thinks that they're friendly because they're friendly with each other. 
but unless you get feedback like that from someone who has a first time encounter with a church and, and has a good experience, then it's hard to know, you know how you're really doing. And uh, you do, you hear horror stories from uh, churches where, you know, the, this is the guest's first time in a church and someone asks them to move out of their seat or take off that hat young man and the guy never comes back to church again because he was just mortified. Uh, and so you hear those stories and so it's such a blessing to have had so uh, just several good reports lately about the friendliness of our church and so I just uh, applaud you and I say let's keep it up how about that yeah that's good you know I probably could have come up with a better title for this message because as soon as you read an attitude check you thought oh no uh uh-uh you don't need to check my attitude who does this guy think he is just uh some things to observe about attitude here. Uh, you can identify attitude. It's just kind of one of those things where you know it when you see it <laughs> as this goes. We've got some cats and the pigeon is letting them know what he thinks of them there. Uh, <laughs> sometimes people with attitudes live in denial and they might say something like, I don't have an attitude problem, you have a perception problem. And we all know the, uh, the animal with the greatest attitude problem is the cat, right? Don't like my attitude? Call 1-800-GET-A-DOG. <laughs> and uh, finally, just a little bit of wisdom from the great Captain Jack Sparrow of the Pirates of the Caribbean series. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. <laughs> so do you understand? Oh my. We're going to continue in a series today that is a little bit of a departure from the types of sermon series we've been doing. We've been doing some topical things on topics like love and on the Holy Spirit and on worship and on rest. But this is a series that's just simply looking at a letter. The letter that we call Philippians. Written from the Apostle Paul in the first century to a church that he had helped found in the city of Philippi. This was a real person writing to real people in a very critical time in the life of the church as the church was just getting started and there was still a lot of persecution. In fact, as we learned last week, as we dove into some background about this book of Philippians, we found that Paul himself, as he was founding the church in Philippi, faced persecution and suffering and was run out of town. And the church that he left behind, obviously, as we as indicated in the, in the letter that we're studying, and just as you would expect, also faced opposition and suffering for their beliefs. And so it's in this context that Paul sends this letter to Philippi, to the church there. And in contrast to many of the other letters that he wrote, this letter was written out of a reaction to good things, good news. Whereas so often it seemed like the Apostle Paul was having to put out fires 
everywhere. And would send letters because they couldn't be everywhere at once. So he would send letters. Hey, I heard you're having this problem. Let's get it together, folks. Hey, come on now, guys. You know better than this. But this letter, though he does offer some correction and some guidance, as we'll see even today, has a different tone overall. And it's written out of gratitude and out of just really like pride of a father to his children who are doing so well and standing strong in the faith despite the persecution they face. But now we move into chapter 2. And last week we focused on uh, how the gospel was a priority for the Apostle Paul and how it should be a priority to the church in Philippi and how it should be even today to us. The priority. The gospel. And this week, yes, we move on to attitude. And he talks about attitude and he says we should have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Now before we get too far into this, there's something that we need to understand that's really fundamental to understanding most of the teachings of the Bible, especially when it comes to teachings on how we should live our lives. And that is to get rid of the notion that God is just trying to get humanity to move over a little bit on the morality dial. Just push the dial a little bit over. If you guys could just be a little bit nicer to each other. If you could just be a little more moral. If you could, you know, maybe get some of the rules right. And it's not, God is not just trying to get the earth to be a little bit more, a better place. And a little bit nicer people. We find as we look at scripture that God's way of thinking about things, his way of doing things, the things that he values and the things that he expects his church to value are diametrically opposed to what the world values. It's a complete opposite. And we've, we found this even as we studied uh, the fruit of the Spirit recently. And we'll look at that in a second. But first, uh, as we just talk about attitude, bear that in mind, that He's not talking about just having a slightly better attitude. He's talking about having a completely different, a different type of attitude altogether than the world has. What is attitude? It could be defined as a feeling or way of thinking that affects a person's behavior. It's a pretty simple definition, and yet it gets right down to the point. And this is why attitude is so critical. Because it's like the central thing from which behaviors flow. It's the closest thing that you get to a person's heart, in a sense. Because it's from these feelings and these ways of thinking that our behaviors tend to flow. And so as we talk about this, consider that. Our attitudes are important. Because they affect our behavior, ultimately. We, as I mentioned, looked at a series in our series on the Holy Spirit. We looked at these fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as I thought about this message today, I thought, boy, those fruit really deal with attitude, don't they? It's an attitude of love, an attitude of joy, an attitude of patience rather than an attitude of despair or of hate or of anxiety and so forth. The attitude being shaped by the Holy Spirit is in complete 
contrast to the attitude of the world. We're not talking again about just moving the attitude over a little bit. We're talking about something completely different. In this passage that we read just a few moments ago, the Apostle Paul said that we should shine like stars in the universe. Think about the contrast between a star and the universe surrounding it. When you look up at the sky, you don't say, oh, maybe that's a star there. I mean, it's it's either black or it's white. <laughs> There's not a lot of gray area up there. And so it's the same with us. Why attitude? I believe nothing impacts the effectiveness of the church and the effectiveness of your witness more than attitude. And here's the deal. We're all facing an uphill battle with attitude. Amen? (laughs) Something happens around the age two. Not that I would know anything about this or have a daughter that just turned two. (laughs) But something happens around that age that causes some people's children to do crazy things. I mean, who ever heard of just melting down into a puddle of despair and angst because neither of your parents could conjure up a bag of fruit snacks? It doesn't make sense, but this attitude appears out of nowhere, and somewhere around the age of 15 it peaks, (laughs) give or take a few years. (laughs) For some people. And we laugh, but many of us sitting here still today often struggle with attitudes that are just as unreasonable as a two-year-old's. We just play it off in maybe a more mature fashion. But as Christ followers, we're called to have a very different sort of attitude. One that looks like Jesus' attitude. And so let's look at some characteristics of that attitude. And you can fill in the blanks in your card if you want to as we go through this. The first characteristic, and really such a central characteristic that this message just could have been entirely about this one thing, and that is humility. The attitude of Christ was characterized by humility. Or you could even turn it around and say that (laughs) humility was what his attitude came out of. The passage we read in verse 5, it said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It says even death on a cross because in the day in which this was written, there wasn't anything more humiliating than death on a cross. This is an interesting passage from a historical sense as well because though we live in a society that on some level at least pretends to prize humility, 
I mean, our politicians like to act humble, right? <laughs> I had a friend in Missouri told me, when I saw the election results in Louisiana, I thought, oh my, Neil's going to have to suffer through another 30 days of political ads. <laughs> but humility has not always been prized in this world. I was interested to learn that. I uh, was in a conference a few years back and a very smart guy who, he's got a book that we're going to walk through as a church sooner or later that I'm excited about. Um, but he did a whole book also on, it was called Humilitus. And it was on this topic of humility. And he's a historian and uh, evangelist both in one. But he wrote about and, and in this conference shared about humility. And he said that in Greek Roman culture into which Paul was writing this letter, they actually viewed honor seeking as a great virtue. And humility was seen as sort of morally questionable, suspect. Now that's hard for us to wrap our minds around and that shows you how much cultures can change from year to year and from times to times. But he believes this passage to be one of the first recorded instances in history where humility was linked to greatness. Because it says that Christ was humbled and because of that humility God raised him up to be glorified and to be praised and to be honored. And so John Dixon is his name, the historian, and he said this is one of the first instances, if not the very first instance in history when humility was linked with greatness. So it was Christianity, really, that made humility a virtue throughout much of the world today. Think about Jesus' own example. Who had more of a right to seek honor? Who had more of a right to be proud than the Son of God? And yet, who demonstrated greater humility? We have no right to honor or pride compared to the Son of God. Can we all be in agreement with that? <laughs> And yet we struggle with it. We struggle with humility. But that is so important and such a key aspect of what it means to have the attitude of Christ. It starts with humility. Right in hand with that is this idea of caring for others. When we humble ourselves, we can begin to care for others the passage we read in verse 3 and verse 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice he doesn't say, just completely abandon all thoughts for yourself and your own good and your own well-being and just serve others. No, he said... 
in addition to. <laughs> you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. As we've said many times, when we care deeply for people, and especially those that don't expect us to, we put the love of Christ on display to the world. To do this, we have to do what this passage says, and we have to get our eyes off of our own problems and our own circumstances long enough to see the circumstances of those around us and the needs that they face. And the attitude of Jesus cares for others. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and read about what's recorded that Jesus went and did and look at the way he cared for people. Look at the way that their needs brought out his compassion. And when they cried, he cried. And when they were hungry, he found a way to feed them. And when they needed a savior, he died for them. Another aspect of his attitude. Sorry. Not grumbling. Perhaps this is the most challenging verse in scripture. Do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> oh my. Everything, everything? <laughs> it just says everything. Hmm. You reckon that includes doing the dishes? <laughs> you reckon that includes sitting at the stands and you're at your kid's ball game when the ref gets the call wrong? Or in the break room at work? Boy, when I, the few years that I taught school, I remember walking into the teacher's break room on my first day, and I never walked back in again. That was the most negative place I'd ever been. I said, I have enough trouble with negativity with all, just all the other stuff going on at, at school and dealing with, you know, inner city kids and what all needs they have without having to hear the other teachers gripe about, well, the kids did this and their parents did this and the administration did this and that other teacher down the hall did this and oh my goodness. But I bet that you've had a similar experience at your work because this, or at your school, <laughs> this is the nature of the attitude of the world. But it's not to be the nature of our attitude. Look for areas where you fall into this trap. Maybe you need to stop going to the break room also. <laughs> With all that Christ suffered for us, how many times did you hear him complain? Now friends, please don't take this message on attitude lightly. There's lots of talk about attitude in our culture. And there's lots of good motivational speeches you can hear about attitude. About if you just get your attitude right, your sales will go up, your problems will go down. The power of attitude 
You can go to any motivational conference and hear about that. But Paul takes this issue seriously enough to say, Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. In other words, don't just coast along on a decision you made once upon a time, but instead be engaged with the Holy Spirit in putting to death the things of this world and coming alive into new life with Christ, into His way of thinking, into His way of feeling, into His way of doing, into His attitude. Again, he says, shine as lights. We should stick out. Our attitude should be so different from the norm that we stick out as much as a star sticks out in the universe. So here's our question for today. Does my attitude set me apart from or blend me into the world? Does it set me apart from or blend me into the world? Let me clarify something about this statement. For a long time, I feel like our churches have sought to set themselves apart by, be, by becoming the moral police of the world. And what I mean by that is we like to talk really loud about everything we see wrong with the world so that they'll know we're different. We see this a lot around election times because that seems to stir up what they call the religious right, I guess, you know, and so they want, you know, point out all the things that are wrong and and that should be right. I don't think that was exactly the kind of setting apart that Jesus had in mind when he wanted us to be set apart from the world. I say that because, well, first of all, I think it should be our attitude that's set apart from the world. And when we try to be the moral police of the world, we end up taking on the same attitude of the world rather than taking on the attitude of Christ. And it's our attitude that should stand in contrast to the world. Not what we talk about. Not our talking points, as they call them. And if we have to tell people how we're different, we're probably not doing a good enough job of just being different. Furthermore, think about, again what you saw Jesus doing as you read scripture. Did you see him going around lambasting the world for its sinfulness? The only people that I've ever noticed Jesus lambasting, isn't that a fun word? You should try that out this week. Were the religious people, the most moral people of his day, Why do you think it was that he didn't go around policing the morals of the world more often? As the church is so prone to do many times today. I think 
that it's because the world was acting exactly as he expected them to act. As the world. They weren't the ones claiming to be following God. It was the religious people who were claiming to follow God. And as Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And so, he did. He loved them. He cared for them. And they saw in him an attitude so different than they had ever experienced before. The world did. Our world is the same, we're in the same predicament in many ways. Only we sometimes expect the world to live like Christians. But why should we? (laughs) They're not professing Christ. No, it is we who claim to be the children of God. It's we who, who claim to follow Christ. And it's we who should bear his attitude so that we stand out from the world. And when we do that, maybe our attitude of love and of humility and of caring for others and of not grumbling will stick out so much that they might be interested in some of that for themselves. If we truly want the world changed, the best thing we can do is not yell at the world, but to instead take on the attitude of Christ because here's the deal. Here's a quote from that same conference I was telling you about on humility. The most believable person in the world is the one that has your best interest at heart. Think about that. This ties into humility. Because a people of humility, and with that sort of attitude, have other people's interests at heart. Remember what Paul said about, think not only about your own interests, but also the interests of others in humility. So when we take on the attitude of Christ, when we truly do, we will become the most believable people in the world. I believe that. When people, it'll, our attitude, a Christ-like attitude, buys us the right to speak into someone's life that we would not have, would not have had if we had come at them yelling. And I believe this was why Jesus was so effective at ministering to the sinners of his day. Because they could tell from his attitude that he had their best interest at heart. Do you think that today's world gets that same vibe from the church today? I know that they do sometimes. Because I've heard great stories of humility and of sacrifice, of caring believers, making a difference one life at a time. So let's be that kind of church. And remember that the church is not just these walls. The church is us. And it's when we leave this place and we go out into the world that we must be attitude of Christ bearers. <laughs> can, is, can I say that? Instead of, that's kind of a mouthful. But we must bear with us 
the attitude of Christ as we go into this world because we're representing the church, we're representing Christ. So consider, let's consider our attitudes. And let's consider our attitudes towards people that we come in contact on a regular basis, whether it's the people in this building here, or the people in your home, or the people at your work. Think about people who's, who you have a tough time with your attitude with. Let's pray this week that the Holy Spirit would help us with our attitudes. If you're struggling with a toxic attitude today, believer or not believer, here with us today, the only help available to you to achieving anything close to a Christ-like attitude is the Holy Spirit. As we said over and over again in that last series on the Holy Spirit, He is the helper. He is the one that grows that godly fruit in us. And so I want to invite you to call on Jesus and His Holy Spirit to help you with this. We're going to have the praise team come. They're going to share with us uh, a song. And you're welcome to sing along with them. Or you might want to just spend some time praying about this topic. Because I think this is one that we all feel pretty close to home. Because at some level or or another, none of us has it all together on this attitude thing yet. And if you feel like today that this is something that you're really struggling with, you might just want to, at your seat or at an altar up here, Come and spend some time in prayer about this. Asking the Holy Spirit's help in your life with this. And don't forget your homework this week. It's uh, reading this passage, Philippians 2, each day. As we did with the first chapter last week. Let's pray together and then we'll spend some time in personal reflection and prayer and response. God, we come before you and Jesus... We thank you for setting the ultimate attitude example. For living your life in such a way. Suffering and dying in such a way. That we can hold you up and say this is the attitude that the people of God should have. Now Holy Spirit... Come and help us to live it out. We can't do it of our own strength. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen.